Welcome to the University of California, San Francisco Sports Medicine Podcast featuring Dr. Nira Fundia, Dr. Brian Feely, and Dr. Drew Lansdowne discussing hot topics in sports medicine and society. We hope you enjoy our podcast and look forward to hearing from you. All right, welcome everyone to our UCSF Sports Medicine Podcast, six to eight weeks um, with myself, Dr. Nira Fundia, Dr. Brian Feely, and Dr. Drew Lansdowne. Dr. Drew Lansdowne couldn't make it today. Today, we have the pleasure of having John Solomon on from the Aspen Institute. They do a tremendous amount of work around youth sports, particularly in terms of participation and disparities, and uh, just have had a busy couple of weeks with uh, some great uh, great guidelines and literature coming out. So uh, once again, thank you for joining us, John, and, and just for our audience who may not be in depth with, with youth sports and the Aspen Institute and yourself in general. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background as a journalist and how you came to work at the Aspen Institute? Sure. So I was a longtime college sports reporter for a number of years, probably about 20 years or so, uh, most recently at cbssports.com and uh, made the switch to the Aspen Institute about three years ago uh, to be editorial director of the Sports and Society program at the Aspen Institute, where our main initiative is called Project Play, uh, which develops, applies, and shares knowledge to help stakeholders build healthy communities through sports. And the, the big idea around it is um, we want to be able to provide quality access to sports and physical activity to all children, regardless of you know, gender, race, income, ability. Um, there's a lot of gaps you know, that I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about and get into that, that are really preventing enough kids from playing, but we know all of the, the physical health benefits, the mental benefits, the social benefits of playing sports um, if we can get more kids physically active, and which is, a, of course, a very difficult time right now during COVID uh, to have that happen. Yeah, I saw you just you guys just put out your return to play guidelines a couple days ago. Um, backing up a little bit before we um, go into the rabbit hole of how to get kids active during COVID, um, what trends have you seen in general in youth sports over the last 20 years? So it's become a lot more privatized is the biggest thing. Um, it's that that chase for the college scholarship. Um, and also that chase, it's not only that from parents, but also parents feeling like they have to check every box to be able to give their kid every opportunity you know, to reach their dreams, which isn't just resigned to sports, it's in academics, it's in the arts, it's you know, in other areas. So youth sports, you know, for me growing up, um, I'm 44, and when I was playing sports, it was pretty local. You know, I was like on a club soccer team, but that club soccer team was just playing in the Washington, D.C. area. We weren't traveling you know, tournaments every weekend and out of state and, and all that. Um, that's changed because of the privatization and this chase. And so uh, it's really left behind a lot of kids who can't afford that because it costs so much money to play at the more elite level, so to speak. Um, takes more time. A lot of parents don't have the transportation. They work jobs. You can't afford it. And it's really... Um, ended up impacting and hurting the community-based local leagues, the local parks and rec that you know, a lot of us have grown up playing. And now when you, when you take away those parents who have more money, so you're losing that money and th those fees and donations, and you're losing often the parents who have the capacity to coach and to volunteer and to be administrators. So there's this real uh, continuing gap and this divide not unlike a lot of other things in society, sort of the haves versus have-nots. And if you have resources and have money, you are better able to access uh, sports. And if you don't, it becomes more difficult. 
John, when did you see the, the kind of the acute change happening? I think we all know that kind of we, we can kind of describe the culture now and knew what it was when we were playing. But was there any kind of like single event or, or change when this all started becoming more privatized? I mean, it's gradually been happening in some ways, um, probably the last 10 to 20 years. I mean, you can go back even to the late 1990s. It was starting to happen. There was a big moment um, after the Great Recession in, of 2008. And if you, if you recall, I mean, obviously the, the economy was hit hard, the housing crisis, and a lot of people, you know, lost jobs, you know, lost money in the market. Um, and, and it became more privatized at that point. And as it became more privatized, and as we had th these financial challenges, um, youth sports participation declined. So youth sports participation for kids 6 to 12 was 45% in 2008. Uh, and this was on a, a regular basis. Kids were basically playing organized sports. By 2014, it was down to 38%. And it was, it, it was starting to tick up a little bit before the pandemic. It sort of stabled off and it was ticking up a little bit. There was some real progress being made, you know, in 2019. And now we hit the pandemic and there's, you know, there's, there's really great concerns that this will happen again. And if not at a, at a more, um, just a more impactful level, because we're not only talking about the financial concerns, but we're also talking about the safety and how comfortable will some families be having their kids return to sports. Yeah, I think it's fascinating because my guess, and this is based on no real evidence, but that the parents of club level kids or perceived club level kids are gonna be more likely to take the risk and send the kids back into you know, elite, um, you know, the all-star elite football academy, uh, junior training division three versus the, you know, San Francisco Youth Baseball League, which is rec league for fun. It's going to be a little bit more, um, you know, patients aren't going to really want to go back to that. Um, that was a horrible way to ask that. Basically, what I'm, what I'm asking is, do you think that there's going to be a continued difference with how people are, go into club sports over the next six months because those are going to be risk takers versus people just abandoning the like the, essentially the fun sports because they're going to feel like that's not worth the risk? Yeah, no, I think, I think you're right on about that. I mean, we saw that with the travel elite sports, number one, they were, the, they were the last to shut down when the pandemic started. Like some of them are really hanging on and, and probably in, in unsafe ways. And you're like, wait a minute, why are you still playing right now? Like we're in a pandemic, we're trying to figure this all out. Um, and a lot of them were the first to return. I mean, there were a lot of travel baseball tournaments, for instance, and softball that were, were back in May um, in certain states, uh, Florida, Texas, um, you know, Georgia, you know, come to mind. And, you know, that's the real risk of some of these travel sports tournaments. You're having large gatherings, number one. You're mixing people from different regions and different parts of the country as the virus continues to spread. Um, but they were happening. And yeah, I think the, the competitive elite travel sports parent is more likely to come back um, and, and faster. But what we are seeing, and we've done um, some surveys of youth sports parents nationally, uh, in partnership with Utah State University, the comfort level continues to increase. We surveyed, let's take a step back, we surveyed national youth sports parents in May and in June and in September. And one of the questions is, you know, um, in what forms of sports are you comfortable returning when restrictions are lifted, you know, wherever you live? And 
travel sports, each time we've done it, it continues to be the lowest ranked. You know, right now in September when we did it, it was about 52% felt comfortable of their child returning to youth sports in travel. Um, whereas, you know, community-based sports was about 57, 58%. Interscholastic sports was in that 57, 58% um, realm. You know, pickup play is the most comfortable level in that uh, 60 to 70% range, you know, we're just having neighborhood pickup games. So that, that, that is going to be a hurdle, I think, for all parents, but I think you're, you're right that the travel sports parents are, are going to come back faster. And that's potentially going to leave kids behind, you know, continuing that, that, that those programs are going to be able to continue to generate fees by perhaps not doing the most, the most safe practices as they return, while those who are being safer aren't going to be generating the revenue right now. Yeah, and one of the things we're talking about disparities that we do worry about is, you know, for a lot of these communities in need where they can depend on scholarships to get to that next level or get to college, it seems like that gap's going to increase as well, too, because now the only way you can get noticed by colleges is to be playing at these tournaments. And if you don't have the money to enter the tournaments, and you're not going to have that opportunity to be noticed. So on that light, what, what, how do you feel from a policy standpoint, you know, kind of at a larger level, we can get these disparities minimized um, from kind of a local and regional level? Yeah, I mean, one I think is investing in parks and recreation, you know, whether it's parents, right, invest in local, you know, have your kids play local, it's okay to play local, they're, they're probably being safer, you know, about the return to play, not that the travel sports can't be safe, but they're probably being safer. They often are promoting um, what a lot of parents say they want out of sports, and we know this from our surveys, the desired outcomes are, you know, positive uh, physical health, mental health, you know, peer relationships, having fun. Competition ranks much lower in the desired outcomes from parents of what we see. So parents can invest into it, but also municipalities, right? Local governments can invest more into parks and rec infrastructure, community-based sports, and look, it's going to be challenging because the municipalities have major financial challenges themselves right now. But we are seeing some communities investing in this. Um, it's, it's really gratifying, even during the pandemic in Montgomery County, Maryland, which is a suburb of the Washington, D.C. area. During the pandemic here, they approved $1.55 million in funding to help serve underserved kids when it comes to youth sports. This is going to help. Um, uh, offset facility costs, you know, particularly for programs that are free or low reduced rates. Um, it's going to help um, find, you know, hire more coaches, you know, help more leagues, provide grants to some of these organizations specifically targeted um, to underserved, whether it's, you know, uh, youth of color who are not being served well enough, whether it's, you know, girls, whether it's just low income. Um, and it's really rare to see in this time, but that's what's going to be needed. And I think it also needs to be framed, not just as, hey, we're going to go play sports um, and sports are fun, but sports are, um, can help this public health crisis that we were having even before with obesity and kids having long-term health problems that reach adulthood. If we invest in kids now, you know, when it comes to the, the proper type of sports leagues, you know, we know that there are kids are less likely to be obese they're more likely to have higher grades, higher self-esteem, less depression, and all these long-term benefits throughout their life. Nirav and I tend to see patients 
unfortunately, after they've already been injured, and at least some of what we see are overuse injuries or repetitive stress injuries that eventually end up in an ACL tear or an elbow injury. And as people who are kind of working on the ground level, how do you think, what do you think the role of pediatricians and sports medicine physicians and surgeons is in changing this culture? That's a great question. Yeah, um, I think they could really help um, have these conversations with parents and with kids when you regularly see them, right? So like, hey, you have an, uh, an elbow injury. Okay, how often are you playing baseball? What, whoa, what, you're playing 12 months a year, the whole time? Like, really? Like, that's going to lead to, you know, arm injuries, elbow injuries, shoulder injuries. Burnout is also a risk as well. Um, there's a, a resource that, that we created um, a couple years ago, a Project Play, called Healthy Sport Index. And it's available at healthysportindex.com. And this is a tool that doctors could use, parents could use, that allows um, anyone to be able to evaluate the 10 most popular adolescent boys and girls sports based on three areas of health. Uh, we used expert analysis and data to evaluate um, physical activity, how much are kids moving their bodies at these, partic in these particular sports. We had new research go in and study practices um, in different sports. Um, we looked at uh, injuries, each sport, what are your injury rates, you know, nationally at the, at the high school level, which could also correlate to the to younger levels too. And then also the psychosocial benefits, right? What are the different um, emotional and social and goal setting and self-esteem benefits, you know, when it comes to those sports. And, you know, that's something that uh, pediatricians and doctors could, you know, share with uh, uh, parents just so we start having those conversations, you know? And so there's an understanding that, um, yeah, your child may really, really love baseball and wanna play it year round, but here are the reasons why it's just probably not gonna be good for them long-term. You know, one of the interesting things is, you know, kind of at the clinician level and, and at level like at the Aspen Institute, we understand a lot of these things. One thing that I've seen a lack of is kind of coverage of this kind of at a national media level. Um, you know, you'll, you'll still see a lot of the major outlets talk about, you know, the Tiger Woods or the Bryce Harper. That's all they did. All they did was play baseball year round and they were successful. And I think for us in the office, when these parents come in, that's who they look towards. Um, and then they don't hear about how Patrick Mahomes played multiple sports or, you know, how Steph Curry played multiple sports. Why do you think there just isn't that kind of that, that kind of school of reporting in the media about this when we're, we're talking about successful athletes? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I mean, one is, and I just come from as a former reporter, um, there's just not a lot of media who are devoted to youth sports, right? Like it's, um, there are so many cutbacks anyway when it comes to media these days that uh, people are you know, losing jobs and, and there are, um, the idea is more around, okay, what is gonna get us attention and page views and you know, TV eyeballs and that typically is college sports and it's pro sports. And so that's where a lot of people, you know, in sports departments devote their resources toward. I tend to think that it's, that it's misguided and there's, and I wouldn't have thought this while I was a reporter, but now having been in this space for about three years, there's so much information and interesting stories and topics and trends to cover that impacts so many people, right? I mean, so many, there's so many more parents out there who's the favorite athlete is their child, not LeBron James or Tiger Woods, right? And so this is information that would impact them. Um, there are a lot of people out there um, and we've promoted some of them, you know, Project Play, athletes, prominent athletes, coaches who are 
beating the drum about like, yeah, you really need to play multiple sports. This is so important and here's why. It just, it's sort of tuned out by parents and parents are in this really weird market where they don't get enough information and they have to make really difficult decisions in order to sort of keep up with the Joneses in this arms race where they feel like they're, they're falling behind and not doing right by their child. Yeah, how much do you think this is because of the coaching and the discrepancy between having parent coaches in youth leagues and essentially professional coaches kind of at that mid to high level? How much do you think the specialization and the focus on getting kid to scholarship athlete is based on what the coaches are telling them? No doubt. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a big part. And the coach in our society is sort of like, lack of a better word, kind of like a god in some ways, you know, all, all, all powerful um, in just terms of how we view and treat coaches. And coaches have, can have tremendous value, right? I mean, they can have so much uh, positive impact on a kid and their personal development and, and teaching them, you know, new fundamentals and skills and becoming a great athlete. On the flip side, they can also have tremendous negative impact um, if they're not going by the right approach, including, you know, hopefully, you know, promoting uh, multi-sport sampling. And so the coach in some cases, particularly the elite level, has this vested interest as well, you know, for himself, him or herself, that uh, they want to win games or they want to be able to produce scholarship players to continue to generate future consumers of parents. Um, so it, 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 is this, uh, it is this delicate balance and parents, going back to my earlier point, don't have a lot of, enough information and often don't know how to even have that conversation with coaches. Like they don't even know, A, what to ask or what to say, you know, to point out if, if their child's being, said, being told, no, you need to play on this team year round or you can't play on the team at all. They don't know what to come back with, with that information, which we're, we're trying to educate them on. And then two, sometimes they don't even know how to have that conversation because if you're a parent, you're like, I'm, I'm just a parent. I'm not the coach. I don't know how to coach sports. I'm not an expert in that. But parents should give themselves more credit. Um, parents know what looks healthy and what doesn't for their child. You know, if your child is breaking down with injuries or is burned out or doesn't want to go to practices, like something's wrong. It's time to like step back and say, you know, maybe we need a little bit of a break here. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think one of the things I've noticed both as a physician and as a parent, the coaches set rather arbitrary rules. Like you have to be at X number of practices, X number of games. But the reality is, is that's flexible for the really good kids because they're willing to, you know, essentially get the good kids on their team. And I just listened to my high school athletes coach over a Zoom trying to convince his club kids just to come back for the high school events. And it was challenging for him to convince it. And I think we do give too much credit for coaches always having the best interest in, for their kids. And we really do need to, especially for the high school level athlete, listen more to how the kids are talking about sports and compare that to how they were talking about it when they were having fun. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, so our, our, our number one strategy at Project Play literally is ask kids what they want. And it sounds really simple, um, but unfortunately not a lot of adults do it. Um, and that means the kids need to be involved and have a say in the design of their youth sports experience. I had my youth sports experience many years ago. It's, 
that was in the past. <laughs> I don't need to relive that, you know? This should be your experience. Um, and, you know, a lot of parents and adults and coaches and kind of bemoan the, the video game, you know, experience for kids these days. Kids are always on the couch and, you know, just playing video games. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. But if you think about it, video games are really, really smart and that youth sports could take some lessons from. And that is that is so kid focused the way it's designed. I mean, you can play on different levels, you know, different strategies. Um, you can play with friends, you know, and then at the same time, the same team. Um, you can go at your own pace, you know, as, as the sport goes on and as the video games go on. And, and perhaps most importantly, you don't have the adults looking over your shoulder on every single move, critiquing you, saying, uh, pass, shoot, what are you doing? Get back in position. Like, imagine like, you know, you are doctors. It's like, and I think about this in my work, like imagine if you're being told, wait, no, cut, cut right there. No, no. I mean, no, uh, you need to do this certain thing as a doctor. Don't do that as a doctor. Like how could anyone as an adult work like that? But that's what we do with our kids. We shout instructions to them constantly as they're playing and their minds just kind of, you know, go wander and this can lead to, to burnout as well. You are yeah. describing exactly how my daughter instructs me when we play Fortnite. Go there, go right, <laughs> right, right. No, that's not your right. That is not your right. You're dead. Okay, my turn. <laughs> but I don't but understand it, what you either. I've got 11 year old. I've got no idea what they're doing. <laughs> but it, it is pretty amazing. I remember you, John, you talked about your youth sports. You know, I, I grew up playing sports as well, too, in college. And literally, my parents would drop me off. And I'd go do whatever I would do, and then they'd pick me up. And there was just a lack of involvement. I mean, they were interested. They'd come to watch, but they weren't critiquing my technique. They weren't asking me, telling me how I was, you know, jumping or running. Um, so it is interesting now the parents feel that they need to be, you know, it's kind of what's going on larger in society, how they need to be part of everything that these kids are doing, and they're getting kind of turned off because of it. Just to kind of, yeah. you know, our last main question for you, John, um, you know, you guys just finished up your Project Play Summit. Can you share some of the highlights from that for our audience who may not be familiar with, with um, what happened at that, uh, that event? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's our annual um, gathering of um, a lot of the national leaders, the intersection of youth, sport, and health, um, really big youth sports conference. Had to do it virtual this year for the first time due to COVID. Um, and, and all of the material and the recaps and the replays are available at AS pn backslash pp summit and um, i mean this year we had you know alex morgan the u.s women's soccer star was talking about how um to the, what we were talking about earlier you don't need travel soccer you know necessarily uh she she played rec soccer ayso until she was 14 years old and joined a club this is one of the best players in the world she just enjoyed the fun of it at younger ages and didn't want to take it that seriously yet um michael lewis the author of uh, moneyball and uh, the Blind Side, great author, talked about the youth travel sports market and how it's broken. Um, we talked with some community leaders about, uh, you know, about how COVID is impacting youth sports. Um, some really good conversations with Sarah Hirschland, um, the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee CEO, uh, Tatiana McFadden, a Paralympian, uh, Crystal Dunn, Allison Felix, Terrell Owens. It was, uh, yeah, some really good discussions and I yeah, would welcome anyone to to visit as.pn backslash PP summit. You know, it's interesting. This is probably our fourth podcast that's focused eventually around youth sports and specialization. And one thing I just realized is it never sounds fun. Like I remember sports, like 
I did swimming and water polo, which was not fun. And thankfully, my parents did not want to watch my swim practices. Um, but the thing that I remember most about youth sports was playing middle school basketball. And it wasn't for the team per se. It was at lunch and we would have pickup games that were, you know, semi-organized teams that were refereed. And that's what I always go back to is it was ridiculously fun. And it made me love basketball for the next, you know, I won't say how old I am, but for 20, 30, 40 years. And we don't talk about sports like they are the center of fun anymore. We, set, we talk about them like they are a means to an end. Um, how do you think we get back to really making it fun? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I mean, because what, what's also happened is we, we've lost free play in America quite a bit over the last 10, 20 years. Like to your point, growing up, I'd go outside and play with friends all the time, pick up games for hours until it's dark and then it's dinner time. My parents probably didn't even know where I was, you know, right? Exactly. And you got to um, find a passion for yourself in the particular sport through that way. You got to um, settle disputes, right, with other kids. Like, all right, you was that a foul? Was that not a foul? All right, we got to figure this out or else we're not playing anymore. Um, there's no referee here, adults stepping in. Um, and it's just, it's gone away in a couple ways, a couple reasons. One, I think there are parents who feel they can't let their kids out of their sights, you know, for safety purposes. And in some communities that is totally legitimate. Um, in some, you know, maybe not. And I think also we've just overscheduled so much. So my advice would be let kids find sports on their own terms, whatever that may mean. Like there, there may be some kids who totally want the competitive elite environment and that's great, but talk to them, ask them what they want at the end of, you know, each season. Did you enjoy it? Did you not enjoy it? You know, should we go back to this? Do you need a little bit of a break? Do you want to try a different sport? Just have those conversations. That's wonderful advice, John. Well, um, on behalf of myself and Brian, thank you for taking the time off. And, and once again, a wonderful work that you and your organization are doing. I think the more we get the word out, more we, you know, everyone's partnering together, we can hopefully change the, the landscape of youth sports. So thank, thank you for taking the time for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for the work that you are doing. Great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the University of California, San Francisco Sports Medicine Podcast featuring Dr. Mira Fundia, Dr. Brian Feely, and Dr. Drew Lansdowne. We look forward to hearing your feedback and hope you look forward to our next episode. Thank you.